1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDIC. You are tuned in to another edition of Americana Music
0: Profiles, brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine and americanamusicmagazine.com. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's jump right in to the next exciting interview. Welcome to Americana Music Profiles. This episode is going to be a little different. I get the chance to talk to PBS documentary filmmaker David Hoffman. In 1965, a young David Hoffman traveled from New York to the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina to capture a story about Bascom Lamar Lunsford. Bascom was running a music festival in Asheville for mountain music dancers and singers. The result of that film became the first ever televised program about bluegrass music. In this episode, David and I talk about the history of the film, Mr. Lunsford, and the historical significance of this program. Hi, David. Thanks for taking my call today. I really am uh, glad to get the chance to talk to you about this.
2: Very pleased to be with you, Craig.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So um, uh, we're, we're going to talk about the uh, uh, Bluegrass Roots TV show that ran on public television. Um, I, I think I, I heard you say that you were... Uh, Twenty three, maybe, when you did that? Is that right?
2: <laughs> well, think of the time. It's nineteen sixty five. Yeah. <laughs> there had never been a show. A bluegrass show on national television. Right. And in fact in fact maybe there was a music show or two on which someone appeared, you know, a Johnny Cash kind of guy. But there was never a show that actually looked at the people. And so I was a twenty three year old filmmaker and I was sitting on Long Island, uh, starting my career. And read in Time Magazine okay. about this guy named Bascom Lamar Lunsford from uh, the Asheville area who had a music festival. And a whole bunch of us kids on Long Island uh, were listening to Late Night Grand Old Opry on Saturday night. Oh, all right. It was broadcast on, I think it was WSM yeah. out of Nashville. And I'm not sure where the station came out of, but we just went nuts for the music. We'd never heard anything like this. Every musician was fabulous. The music was great. The voices were so good. Couldn't believe it. So we didn't know much about it. So I write this guy Bascom Lunford, and um, he's eighty-two years old. And
0: at the time, he said, he was. "Yeah, I,
2: I've heard something about filmmaking." He said, "And I, we do have a television <laughs> for sure. Come down." So I got on a plane with another guy. And a 16 millimeter camera and a Nagra recorder. It was a 26 pound analog recorder. Wow. Never been on a plane. That's my first time on an airplane. Really? I flew to North Carolina, went to Asheville. Some guy gave us a free room and board. And we show up the next morning and we're with Bascom in South Turkey Creek, about (laughs) 13 miles from Asheville. And he says, Well, I'm going to take you as I go around and pick the people for my festival. Oh, wow. And he knew just about everybody, so everybody, everybody he picked was unbelievably good.
0: Wow. That's And that's cool. it. It
2: ran on primetime PBS, which at that time was not PBS. It was called National Educational Television out of New York. And it got the cover of TV Guide wow. and a full-page review because people not only loved the music, but... They had never seen people like this yeah. storytelling, as you know very well, as we all know very well. All the, the
0: yeah. of This music. Uh, what do you? What kind of feedback did you get um, from? Did, did you get feedback from viewers uh, around the country that that saw that and and had different experiences writing back to you?
2: There wasn't any time. That wasn't. That was before the time when that kind of thing occurred. Uh-huh. Certainly on national educational television. Okay. But Bascom and his people. We lost it. They had no idea they were that good. They were that entertaining.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. You know,
2: they saw themselves as just performing. Yeah, Bascom said they were good, but now they weren't on film, and they watched themselves, and everybody always thought they could have looked better, and my camera was 49 pounds and had a battery pack, and so wow. it was pretty primitive, and I was just learning my craft.
0: Yeah, yeah, Wow. And did I read correctly or, or hear you say that you were actually there for six weeks? Is that right?
2: Yes. It's, we, we. Wow. At that time, you know, you shot 10-minute reels, and it took about 20 or 30 minutes to load everything up again.
0: Really? Okay.
2: Uh, even with all the efforts to get no hair in the gate, I was what we used to call it. I got constant hairs in the gate. That was a big drag. Um, you can see that in some of the footage. But the thing is so much a classic that... I don't know if you're aware of this, but about 10 years ago, the Library of Congress came to me and said, we'd like to buy the original when you die.
0: Oh, wow. And we'll pay that's you now. Awesome.
2: So they had to have an act of Congress, and they <laughs> bought it from me. So when I pass on, um, it goes to Washington, and that's that's part of American history. Wow.
0: That is so cool. Did, did the... Um the folks that were in the film, did they have a concept of what was going on when you were shooting? I mean, had they seen, been around anybody doing that type of production before? No,
2: no one had. I mean, Alan Lomax, people, he had come with a tape recorder, you right. know, he and his dad right. some years before. But they never recorded these people. They were, they were more the, the groups and the larger groups than Bascom. Bascom was sort of the real underground thing so no that and once they i came with bascom a and b i loved the music and even though i was a new yorker nobody really minded that they thought that was kind of funny
0: yeah (laughs) and
2: um they were super friendly to me and very cooperative and i just was thrilled to record it then i've loved it ever since i still love that music and those people
0: Was this a a culture shock for you to come from New York into the rural parts of the Carolina like that?
2: Um, Well, you know, now I know myself because I'm 78 years old. I didn't know this then. But my whole life as a filmmaker has been about culture. Okay. So there is no culture that I've ever been in that I didn't feel uh, comfortable, Uh wonderful. Uh I've been in some pretty rough cultures, but I've never been in a culture as rich, as you know well, as rich uh, in terms of storytelling,
0: right? music,
2: yeah. dance, art form, humor,
0: yeah. Yeah. as
2: as uh, the mountains of North Carolina. I don't know about the rest of Appalachia. I never went to Kentucky or West Virginia. That may be somewhat different. But in North Carolina, that culture was and still is, because I hear from grandchildren, sure. the people yeah. in the film. yeah. And uh, that culture is just booming. I mean, there's lots of young people doing
0: it. Well, for those folks, what what you were uh, trying to bring out to the rest of the world was everyday life to them. That that was just entertainment. You know, it, where we might watch a football or basketball game, they got together and sang and danced. That's so, right. Yeah, so that, that's uh, right. to be able to capture and, that. And like,
2: here, was the thing, here was the thing. The culture that I, that I uh, spent 25 years of my life in is rural Maine. Okay. And in rural Maine, one of the nice things about that culture is that young people and old people both respect each other. So if you're walking down the street and you're an old guy like me, a young guy will pass and say, Good afternoon, sir.
0: Mm-hmm. Today. That yeah, will happen. Okay.
2: Um, in the North Carolina mountain culture, it didn't matter how good a musician were right. you were. If you tried, you got supported by the others.
0: So yeah, yeah. I
2: love that aspect. There were young guys starting out, and there were geniuses, and there were very subtle differences. I mean, I had a very good ear, I felt. But Bascom taught me a lot about, you know, oh, this guy's good, but this guy's real good, and okay. here's why.
0: Yeah. We wow. He knew.
2: There's a scene in the film, which is a constant uh, source of disagreement on my YouTube channel, where which I call the best mountain fiddler I ever heard. Okay. And Bascom thought he was the best mountain fiddler he ever heard. His name was Lost John. He was well-known in North Carolina. Uh And that's debated on my channel all the time, that particular clip. But what Bascom showed me was this kind of mix of the grit of the fiddle. The notes, the grit, and the way you made this, when you wanted to make it gritty, you made it really gritty. And I understood that uh, from him. Okay. you know, when he said, this guy's got a beautiful voice, sings like an angel, I could hear the difference between that and other people yeah. who had very nice voices. Aubrey Ramsey is one of my characters, and he's also a clip in on my YouTube channel. Um, and he was a banjo picker with a gorgeous voice, and he just lived in a little teeny house in Madison County, and he hunted groundhogs. Ate groundhog. I had a piece of groundhog with him, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he never. He had some albums. He had some albums, but he never became super famous. But he was just great.
0: Wow, that's cool. You 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 see the movie, and not just yours, but you see a a, a movie, and you don't connect with what was involved in putting that together, and and so being there for six weeks. What was the other time like when you weren't shooting? Were you immersed in the in the culture and the, the lives of the folks around there?
2: Yes. Um, we had a lot of technical problems because we were not thorough professionals, and the camera equipment was new. The first guy who made a professional movie with these kind of handheld 16-millimeter cameras, they were very heavy, um, was only made two years before.
0: Oh, wow. And he was a
2: New York documentary filmmaker, much older than me. And he did a show on the Kennedys, behind the scene on John Kennedy in the White House. And I saw that show. So I was in college at that time. And I rented one of those cameras, and I tried it. So a lot of the time we spent with our equipment trying to 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 load up the camera, each reel was about... 20 minutes so you had to clean it and then you ran it through all these little loops and things and mm,
0: mm. it
2: was pretty tough and
0: yeah.
2: then when you got all done you kind of closed it up and then you got everything ready and there was a wire between the microphone and the tape recorder and the camera so they we always had to be close together me and the other guy i made it with okay and it was just two of us
0: and of course, at that time, you're you're not even sure what you're getting when you get done shooting, right? Because that all has uh, to be important. developed. And, yes. There It yeah.
2: wasn't a reflex camera; it didn't exist. So you're looking at a tube that comes out of the side of the camera, which you hope is what the camera is yeah. recording.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. And and not and even you your didn't lighting is. I not understand the zoom. Okay.
2: I'd never had a zoom lens, and there's quite a few zooms in the in the film, and. People get quickly used to it because the material is now so classic.
0: Right. But right. I
2: sure didn't like that. I never zoomed again. When I got back to New York and I had it processed in the laboratory and came out and they made you a print, a copy, which you could edit, and I saw all those zooms, I didn't like that very much. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: did you get a chance to experience one of his festivals, see some of these folks on stage?
2: No. There is footage. From the 1950s, I have a little bit of it on my YouTube channel, a German television crew came to Goscombe's festival, and they've recorded just a bit, and it's really classic. Um, it's kind of like the Grand Old Opry, in a way. The audience cheers and laughs. I felt, and I, I'm quite convinced, that the seeing people in their natural environment is very different than seeing them on stage.
0: Sure, yeah, I agree. That was
2: the uniqueness of driving around with the equipment and going with Pascom There's nobody who, you know, actually even ever felt uncomfortable being filmed. They just, nobody had ever seen themselves on film.
0: Yeah. The, um... This, the the dance scene and some of the other scenes, uh, uh, you know, a lot of them in the film, of course, are, are kind of short clips of, I, I'm guessing, what was longer uh, um, moments of time when you were actually there, right? Right. So was that a uh, a dance party at the house that, that went on for a well, while? Well, we, or?
2: Bascom and I talked out scenes. Oh, okay. And he felt the dance was part of the story. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have a professional hall, so his house, which, by the way, still exists on South Turkey Road, really? South Creek Road, yeah. <laughs> still exists. Somebody sent me a photograph of it. So we rolled up the carpet. It was wood floor. Don't know what it did to the wood floor. <laughs> and uh, he got this dance caller and his team, which was called the Blue Ridge Mountain Dancers, and the the same year of the next year i think maybe next year they performed at the newport folk festival
0: oh cool and okay. that was
2: a major moment because they're a whole nother group of rising folk enthusiasts saw clog dancing
0: yeah yeah wow that's neat
2: yeah so that that scene as you may know is one of my most popular scenes on my channel yeah. and uh i'm very proud of that scene because i danced with the camera
0: Oh right, I, right. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you said right. that. I just yeah. couldn't not do that. Yeah, yeah. And
2: I didn't have any rules to say you shouldn't do that, <laughs> so I just got involved with them and the kids, and they were all smiling at me. You could see it in the in the film. Right. And I'm smiling at them, and I'm dancing along, and they think it's very funny.
0: <laughs> were you able to uh, keep in touch with anybody after this, or, or or check back in to to see where they have uh, where they had gone from that point?
2: Um. One person in the film is still not only alive, but she's still dancing.
0: Really? And She
2: must be. Uh, I'm going to guess 80, just 80, or a little bit older than 80, maybe. And the others, no. I, I, I uh, There was another film that I made in nineteen uh, in late 1980s for PBS. Now. National Public Television, mm-hmm. which has a series called American Experience, and I made an American Experience show on Bascom lamar Lunsford, who has been long gone, and why he did what he did. And that film, which you can also see, it's called Bascom lamar Lunsford, um, and that, that film, um, I went back and I interviewed some of the people who were in the original film. Oh, so right, Oprah okay. Robert Ramsey, as an old man, is in that film. And uh, dance caller, whose name I don't remember, is also in that film. And Bascom's children are in that film. Who remember the film? Some of them were kids. Some of them weren't alive yet.
0: <laughs> hmm. hmm. Did, did so they? I did get that chance. Yeah. Did Did the folks there get a chance to see the 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 no. film in its entirety? No. 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 At the wow. At
2: almost nobody had a television set. Bascom had one. I saw
0: that in the video.
2: <laughs> yeah, Bascom had a television, and so he saw it, and from and his comment about it after was pretty good.
0: <laughs> really? <laughs>
2: but I found that at that time, a lot of um, the people I filmed in those years, when they actually saw themselves, they thought I had done a pretty good job. because Their arms looked wrong, or something was wrong, or I should have done that different, but they should have done that uh, different. Yeah. It would, now we're all filmed so much that used to all kinds of eras that people weren't at that
0: time. Right, right, yeah. And I did, I think I read where you have made some other bluegrass-oriented films, too, outside of this, right?
2: Right. Aside from making the one for American Experience on Bascom and about what motivated him, which I think is important, Craig, what was the motivator. But other than that, I was fortunate enough to propose to PBS in 1972, that I make a film on Earl Scruggs, who they had never heard of, right? but who was giant. Of yeah, for sure. The yeah. moment when we contacted Earl to make that film, uh, Earl was broadening his base. He had played with Flatton Scruggs, he had played with... Uh, the, 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 so many different people by that point that he decided he was going to stretch out the banjo and see who else he could play with so we went on the road with him and created Earl Scruggs His Family and Friends mm. which is a classic album now made from my recordings right. and he was and Bob Dylan is in that and Joan Baez and Doc Watson and uh, several of the old time the Morris Brothers old timers who were much older than Earl uh-huh. so I made that that was a 90 minute Television special, and that was great film.
0: That was a PBS special as well, right?
2: Yes, it ran on PBS. But more importantly, it's today, kind of a, the only. It's the only real documentary on Earl. Okay. He wasn't very comfortable being filmed. He didn't like being filmed. Hmm. Wonderful man. Hmm. God, what a great person! And of course, just thinking right now about it, that um, of course Earl passed on. Doc passed on. They were beautiful friends. Yeah,
0: right. A lot of those uh, old guys are. Earl's son
2: Stevie committed suicide. Mm. I, he's in my film. Uh, Randy, the great Randy Scruggs, Earl's son, the incredible studio guitarist and mm. played open He's sixteen in my film. Mm. He passed on, and I think this Carrie is also dead.
0: Wow, wow. So
2: that's kind of sad. Yeah. Louise yeah. Earl's wife, but boy, what a great man. Yeah. Uh, great man because he was generous with everyone, really respected everyone. He was a farmer guy turned great musician who never thought that he was one little milli step better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a real value to me. Yeah. I, I cherish that.
0: Well, I feel like a lot of folks in the bluegrass music industry, you mentioned something about the people there and how it was it was more about if you if you just put your heart into it they they were okay with that you know obviously there's levels of of talent but in the bluegrass world it, it there's a lot of camaraderie and it's um people enjoy hearing somebody that's really good but they're also that's very true. accepting of those that are just learning or becoming that's good that's true yeah. well
2: one not, i mean it's one guy I, I he's in my film my old film who didn't have that was Bill Monroe. Bill Monroe was an egomaniac, <laughs> you yeah. know, and I met him and spent time with him, and Earl told me that, I mean, in my film, he, Earl, um, Bill introduces Earl in the scene, and he says, he's the second banjo picker that ever played for me, and that would be typical of Monroe. Yeah. Like he's somebody he's not the first of anything. Right, 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 yeah,
0: um, yeah. Yeah, very much I, a perfectionist. Bill
2: Monroe's music is beyond magnificent. Sure,
0: yeah. Uh, I, w- I want to back up. You you mentioned something um, uh, about the the uh, uh, the motivator and and that's really important. Yeah, so I had
2: to when 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 PBS hired me for that, I had to figure out what that motivator was. And I went back over my footage and I read all of Baskin's stuff, and I realized that the motivator was he despised how the mountain people were being portrayed.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. He
2: despised it. He had read the early stuff that had been talked about, these people being marrying brothers and sisters, being stupid, uh, being back up in the house, just drinking moonshine, none of which I saw. I did see some rough stuff, but nothing like what was described as the prejudices against these people, some of which still goes on today. So for him, Beverly Hillbillies was disgusting.
0: I see, yeah, I would think so, yeah. He kind
2: of made fun of his people, and he was determined not to have that be the case, to show respect for the music and the dance and the culture and the humor and the way that they spoke. Yeah.
0: Well, I th- I think I read where that is why you see him on film in a in a dress shirt and tie uh, to, to <laughs> help right. portray that image forward.
2: That's, that's absolutely right, yeah. Show respect. Yeah, right. and he felt it, and we certainly, my, my film, my sound man and I, we felt total respect i was changed by that because i saw a culture that cherished the art form as a part of life right yeah you know and i'd come from a classical music scene in new york where these people were different they were superior yeah
0: they were
2: playing bach and beethoven yeah
0: any any thoughts of of uh doing a uh a Part Two, or a retrospect of uh, where well, they you know, are now,
2: Greg, there's probably thousands of people on my YouTube channel who have asked about that, yeah, and here I am seventy eight years old, perfectly healthy. I still could do it, and I should do it, but it's just too expensive, and there's nobody to pay for it. I mean,
0: yeah. in
2: those days it, it was cheap ish and and, <laughs> and, the, and and the television systems really cared. Yeah. Nowadays it's a show every night. Next show, next night. I love Netflix documentaries and I love HBO documentaries. They're really good. But they want, you know, murder and right. Titanic sinking and
0: yeah. really yeah. rough stuff. Yeah. And there isn't
2: any really rough stuff here. What there is here is beautiful if that's what you love. So right. I've never gotten the chance and if I had the chance I would show uh two things. One, we'd go and find those people and their children and their grandchildren. So yeah. the question is, what happened to them?
0: Yeah, right. Uh,
2: that's one question. The second question is, and who carries on that tradition today? And we know lots of people do. Right. And why? Yeah. How are they doing that?
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: How are they doing that? i still playing it. Of course, they play it in church, but that's the religious side of, of right. um, the music. The
0: gospel. How, yeah. how are
2: their families carrying it on? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I couldn't believe Randy Scruggs when he was 16. He picked up the guitar at seven. His father taught him a few things, but not much. But it was completely around him. That music was around him. Sure, so yeah,
0: yeah. Like so
2: many of those musicians, he learned it having it around him.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and
2: that, that um, I'd love to do it, Yeah, yeah. yeah it should well. be done because 50% of the comments on my clips say, oh, God, this is a great time, a shame that it's not there anymore, yeah. and it just will
0: Yeah, yeah, true, true. But you, you almost have to go there to, to, to realize that. For sure. Well, thanks so much, David, for taking the time to talk to me. This has just been so much fun to learn about this film and and your career, and I just really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the Internet at AmericanaRhythm.com.